On CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. And joining us in the studio today to reflect on an E3 gone by is Phoenix Sims. Hi, Phoenix. Hey there. Um, for those of you who don't know who you are and may not remember you from previous shows, uh, could you introduce yourself? Okay. Um, I guess the best way to put it is I used to be a managing editor for a video game website that was about local games in Toronto, story-driven games, mostly, and indie games. Uh, Now I am kind of like a freelance game critic. It's been a month since E3 wrapped, so today we're going to make some predictions about what the future of gaming might look like. So we're going to look at two topics in particular. Uh, First, what do we make of Google Stadia and the future of game streaming? Then, what does the future of politics look like in games? And we'll wrap things up with some notable quotables of of E3 games and announcements. Uh, So around E3, we learned that the Google Stadia will be launching in November. It'll be Google's attempt to make a streaming gaming platform. So basically, no local copies of your game whatsoever. Everything will be off a server. And we'll all get to see for ourselves how good the service is then. But I think it's fair to say that if it is successful, it could change how developers make games. Um, Dan, if it were does it to actually work, what kind of uh, impact do you think it would have on the games we'll see coming forward? I think that we're, unless Google does some sort of subsidies or whoever controls the streaming future of games, whether it's Google or Sony or Xbox or whatever, right? Unless there's some sort of subsidization of smaller independent games, I, I think that this trend really, really lends itself towards big AAA experiences, a lot like the kind we've already been seeing and, and probably much more in the vein of, of higher spectacle to, to catch people. I think people want things that are on one hand, I think you'll want things that people want things that are like longer and more bang for their buck. But at the same time, they will want things that are more spectacular visually because now any computer can run a visually spectacular game. Mm-hmm. And so there will be no limits to the things they can do. And if your game isn't a 900 hour epic with graphics that r- truly rival Toy Story, as it was said, it was ni- in 1998 or whatever, um, I feel like you're just not going to stand out. I mean, it's interesting because, like, one of the first games they announced is Destiny 2 that will be on the Stadia platform. And that really kind of fits what you're you're talking about, these infinitely long, like, big spectacle games. Um, but there are games in the world that require more pre- precise timing, music games, fighting games. Um, what problems would need to be solved for something like Stadia to work for them? I mean, I don't know that it can ever truly be solved, right? Just by the very nature of... Like what is the, what would be the limitations that you're worried about here? Well, it's like you said, right? So when you think about a rhythm game or a fighting game, you think about timing. You think about how many frames it takes between my press of a button and when an action occurs on screen. And in an, an ideal world, there is zero delay. Of course, that's impossible. But we want as little as a four-frame delay. Let's say a four-frame delay is as ideal as we're willing to accept these days. That's not a lot of time. That is four sixtieths of a second it's it's an it's extremely small fraction of time and once you introduce the internet no matter how fast your connection is you are just adding on to that recently it was um you know street fighter 5 like two or three years ago was really you know uh crapped upon by the fighting game community for having eight and a half frames of input lag if i'm not mistaken 
um, Samurai Showdown before they patched it out had a had also an unacceptably high eight frames or seven frames something like that. And they all those games brought it down to four to be acceptable. But by the, the second you introduce internet, because we see this with netplay, even with games with two frames of input lag, three frames of input lag, the second you introduce the internet, you are adding X frames based on the speed of your connection. You could have the best connection in the world, but you're never going to be able to play, you know, Persona 5 Dancing Star Knight because, or Dancing uh, Moon Knight. I don't remember which one it is. <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Something that, one of the different, listen, I couldn't play that Persona Dancing game on the PS4 or the PSTV because the input lag on the TV was too hard. Right. Um, I can't imagine trying to play that via the internet. So, Phoenix, like, have you ever been in a position where where this kind of service would work for you that there was a game that you didn't have the the console for or the hardware for like is is there any part of like the just the 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 sheer pitch that appeals to you i i'd say like it i don't want to i kind of cringe saying yes but it's like in some ways i could kind of see how it would work like just in terms of like just the netflix style thing of it all like the fact that that if you don't have a gaming pc that's really souped up um you could still stream it on some other device that you have that they have a version of that you would that it would be accessible for you um i do think that like what dan was saying that there's still going to be problems with like the way the frame rates work on everyone's different tvs and consoles and computers and everything but i do like the idea of that it would be a little bit more i don't know like there's just more choice i guess as opposed to um, where we're currently at, where I like, I personally prefer getting like the hard copy of a game. Like I'm just very old school that way, and I I tend to mostly play games on like like one console, maybe two consoles. Um, do you play PC games much? Or I I do play PC games, but a lot of times they're PC games that won't tax the PC we have too much. Like that's the problem. Is that a lot of times. Um, like we do have a pretty good design PC cause my sister's trying to like, she's just getting a web comic going. So she's got a pretty good PC. So sometimes we can play, um, I don't know, something like the letter, which is like a visual novel that has a fair amount of graphics, but it's not something super heavy. Um, like it's not like a call of duty kind of heavy. Do you think it would change your behavior at all in terms of like what games you'd actually try to pl- or want to pick up knowing that you'd have no restrictions on on kind of the the, the quality of it I'd, I'd say yes I mean like I because I have been waiting a while to play certain games that are on my steam wish list um and there's some that I've like been gifted by people too like for like I don't know for my birthday or something where they say like you know I just got Stanley Parable which isn't that powerful of a game on the whole like for a PC but like it is still like more than what my laptop could handle so yeah I guess in some ways. To throw this up to both of you, like with part of the pitch here is that this will work. Do you (laughs) like, and like, I I think that there's, I mean, there's something to be said of like, okay, maybe they get the latency really low and it's like, it's more or less that for most games it's, it's, it's fine. But you, at least in Canada, bandwidth caps are really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see as kind of the personal limitations that might come across? that you might come across when accessing a service like this that is, like, internet-focused. And I'll, I'll throw this to Dan first. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, you live with me. You know our bandwidth cap. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, we, we, we're on the same internet. <laughs> this would destroy our internet. Yeah. You know, just fundamentally, like, we, there's just no way that on the amount of money that we spend on internet, we would be able to use the Google Stadia. 
I mean, it's funny because it's like we share because especially because we share an uh, internet thing. I think we'd end up in a position where we would just kill the band just by two people who play video games existing in the same home. Yeah, there'd be some trouble. Yeah. Um, what about you, Phoenix? Actually, it's like now that you bring that up, that's like like that's kind of like where part of my cringe came from saying like yes like there would be more portability and whatever but then I think about the fact that like I live in a household of like four gamers like my dad plays Mass Effect my mom likes to play Skyrim <laughs> my sister likes to play like Persona 5 and like between all of us we like play all these like extremely heavy like a heavy amount of games like we have like a big collection and everything so it's like if it was all digital and everything I'm like I, I don't think our internet would handle it either. <laughs> you, you also bring up a really good point of like I was just thinking about it and not that I'm a person who advocates always for like hard copy games I, mm. I buy most of my games digitally at this point just for convenience's sake but but I think about that old complaint about always online games about mm. like well what happens if I don't have an internet connection or yeah. what happens if my internet connection is spotty what happens like what happens when I can't go online to play my game there's the business model on top of this, which, I mean, the funny thing is I think we thought going into this that it would be a Netflix service of, like, yeah, you access sure. to this massive Seems library of games. But it's not quite that. It's going to be something closer to what we see on consoles. You'll need a Chromecast on TVs and potentially a controller for mobile. Mm. On top of that, there's, like, a $10 subscription service for Stadia Pro, which gives you access to a small roster of games that iterates every month, but which is kind of what we see with Games of Gold or PlayStation Plus. I and mean, we're not even going to see the free tier until next year. Dan, when you compare Stadia up to like this offering to Games of Gold or, or PlayStation Plus, how does Stadia sound to you as just a business proposition? I mean, it's not that dissimilar, like you said, right? It, it actually reminds me, even more than those, it reminds me of like Humble, like having a Humble subscription. It's like, yeah, you get your games, sense. and you also have the trove that you can kind of go back into. It's not... but. I mean, and we don't know what the games are. We don't know what kinds of games it will be mm-hmm. that they'll be giving out for free. I have to imagine it will it will just very, be very similar to PS Plus and Humble, just games from about a year and a half ago that, hey, these are popular enough and some people may not have played them. They're, you know, attractive. We'll put PES soccer up and then take it away because people complain about it. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted it to be a Netflix subscription. It honestly made a little bit more sense. I think that would probably be way scarier for an indie game developer. That's true. Because, like... How the hell do you make your game stand out? How the hell do you make money back on that system? Yeah. But at least it would have been something different because as this is just like, okay, well, cool. So now I'm not paying for a console, but I am paying for a game that I can only play where my internet is good and when I have internet. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Something about that doesn't doesn't smack right for me. But at the same time, I, I play games on Steam. So what do I have to say about that, right? I'm sure none of this would really be that much of an issue for me until I hit my bandwidth cap. I guess. But I think, too, back to, like, it's weird. Like, when you were saying, you know, just by virtue of, like, where you're located. Like, I, I find that that really interesting is that, like, that your geolocation would basically, like, tell you, like, what games you have access to. Because uh, I know that we used to, so we used to play MMOs, um, like, back in high school. But we were living, we were living in BC on a golf island. <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously that was, like, you know, a frustrating experience because on one hand you'd be like yeah I like this game but it would be like every time you go on a raid you'd be that one person that you'd get to the cr- critical juncture and then you get taken off on uh, offline because there's a jump in your internet yeah. connection and, and like there's nothing you can do because it's like you can't call up it has nothing to do with like what plan you have or whatever it's just literally like there's a lot of trees in this area on this island and there's really like sometimes you're going to get interruptions and then Mm -hmm. you just get jumped offline. So if you had that with Google Stadia, I just feel like it would be like, I don't know. It's interesting to see how like you, you pointed out like there's this most, there's this problem that we had 
like with multiplayer games, they still do to an extent, mm-hmm. but it's now just going to affect all of them. Like if yeah. you, <laughs> no matter what gen- genre, yeah. <laughs> Stadia has said they're not closing the door on future business models when it comes to the Netflix idea. So like maybe there is that wide subscription service in the future. I mean, you play a pretty wide swath of games, but do you think you'd be more likely to pick up certain games if it was just like, hey, this is Netflix, you've got like a hundred games to choose from, um, you don't have to buy it, you don't even have to download it. Um, is do you think you you're do you think you'd be more likely to pick certain ones up? It, I I want to say that I would, but I feel like just knowing how like even if I'm just like comparing it to like, you know, like a Netflix thing. I don't want to keep going back to it, but like just is the closest thing I can think of in terms of like when they go, okay, now you have all this choice. And then it's like, and I'm still going to go straight for Jessica Jones or I'm still going to go straight for whatever it is that I tend to go for. Um, I mean, I do think just as a game critic that I like, I think, yes, like it's like yes and no, I guess, is that as as a game critic, yes, I would probably go, okay, well, I need to have experience with, you know, a lot of different types of games. So I'll try out maybe some of the first person shooters that I usually don't and maybe some racing games or something. But. I feel like I wouldn't spend all that much more time with it. That's the thing. I think I'm in the exact same boat as you because I absolutely would probably play more video games by volume of pure video games. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'll do it just like I do Netflix. I'll watch, I'll play 10 minutes of a video game. And if I don't like it, I'll bounce off of it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that before. But certainly I would give video games a lot less time because they would just inherently have less value. Yeah. Right. The the devaluation of the game, Mm -hmm. I'm paying Let's say I'm paying 40 bucks a month mm-hmm. to get access to everything. Let's say this price is super high. I'm paying 40 bucks a month to get access to everything. Each game I'm playing, that that minute, those 10 minutes of game time, that's like a dollar. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and then I find the one game I like, cool, I'm just going to play this now for this the month. This one, yeah. So I don't know that I would play – I wouldn't play more video games in terms of time spent video games. I would just haste more video games on you know from little scoops of the ice cream thing before yeah. I – pick the same favorite scoop I always pick. And then do deep dive on that because it's like all games. I think that's the thing too um, that Google will have to keep in mind is the fact that um, unlike movies or TV shows, video games require a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like the the investment of time is like crazy. So it's like, you know, you you can't play 150 hours worth of each and every game that you come across on it, you're going to have to literally be really choosy. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, like you sample a lot, but it's really inter- be- it's really interesting because I think on one hand, you know, going into this, I was thinking, well, that's really bad for new developers because how are they going to stand out mm-hmm. when you are paying X dollars a month and you have access to Assassin's Creed and Battlefield and Call of Duty and, you know, every new sports game? Like, how are they going to stand out? But at the same time, just like, well, it's probably a lot more appealing for me to sit down on a Tuesday night and just play 40 minutes of a, you know, two hour long long indie game than it is to spend you know take another chip away at the 400 hour long new dragon age right yeah but i still don't know how they stand out but i do think this system the same way that i think the humble trove is really great because the humble trove and humble bundle in general has got me to play a lot more indie games than i usually do Mm -hmm. but that's because they're just they're they're just put in front of me and i'll play them yeah this is an assuming that the google stadia thing if they ever go to a netflix style model it is an uncurated just pile of video games Mm mm-hmm I I wonder how they stand out, but at the same time, I think a lot more people will take that taste and probably stick longer. Yeah. Just because they don't have to put that initial... In their head, they aren't putting that initial investment in. Yeah, definitely. Because there's... um, I mean, I think about... Oh, is it Rhyme? I think it's Rhyme. Tequila Mm -hmm. Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, that one. Is it... um, 
that was a game where I really saw it going in. Like I saw the trailer like way beforehand. I, I it, it it dropped off the map for a while. I was like, what? Where did it go? And I was trying to keep up with it. And when it finally came out, I was like, yeah, getting it right now. And then I got it. And it's not to say that I didn't like it at all, but it was definitely not the purchase I thought it was getting. So uh, it's kind of interesting. If that was like part of like a subscription model, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have felt nearly as like let down. I would have been like, oh, this is okay. It's super interesting because I, I had the same thought. And what, what what came to my mind is like, do we end up in this place where like you can have these curated packages for like, hey, obviously Netflix has you like this, try this. Mm-hmm. Do we end up in this place where like they can they can go to you and be like, you like these kinds of games. We're really certain you're going to like this. We incentivize you to play it. And, and that is a way that they can get any games to prosper. I don't know why Google would do that, but there is a universe in which that could work. They could, yeah. And then there's also kind of, it, it immediately makes me think too of... Um in terms of the way that they curate things um, by algorithms and stuff like that, like what, you, what you've tried a lot of, and or just you've tried a few of these, so they go, okay, you might like this. And then I've, I was thinking of the fact that, um, I'm trying to remember if it was Love and Rockets. I think it was Love and Rockets. Oh, what, Love and the, Robots. Love and Robots, that's it. It was really similar to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Love and Robots. And they were saying how there was a bit of a controversy over this one episode where depending on what you watch on Netflix they assume the gender of the character that the main character of this one episode ends up with at the end. And people, there was a lot of people saying like they, they would go over to their friend's house and go, wait, that's not, that's not the character. Am I remembering this right? And then they'd go back and watch that episode and realize that like based off of what they chose to watch on Netflix, they just kind of secretly slipped in a different scene Mm -hmm. to this episode. And like, at first it was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting as like a, I don't know, just like a different way of doing a storytelling thing. But there was a lot of people, too, that were saying, well, I don't really like this service choosing mm-hmm. what the thing is just based off of what I watch. Sort of a so, problematic version of the Psychomantis so. boss fight. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting because like, there's there's an opportunity here because there will be so much data mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. developers presumably – They'll, there's a good chance I'll have access to it, and that could lead to things inside games where they're they're creating these individual player profiles and like, oh, I mean, that could lead to things where it's like we know this this person only has never played an RTS before based on his pro his yeah. their gamer profile, yeah. and so we're gonna start this game as super easy for, for them. Sure. Well, but also yeah. just like the game, it won't show you RTS, so maybe you don't end up discovering right. the thing. I think the thing that if this were ever to actually happen, like the Netflix model, maybe even in the Stadium model, if they if they kind of go along something of like, we're going to give you access to a bunch of games if you pay the subscription model. Mm-hmm. I think that if we ever go down that road, the first 30 minutes of any game will be the mo- now most important design exercise. Oh, Because for sure. in a world where you can just taste a game and mm-hmm. just put it away because you're paying for the whole package and you don't care, it is going to become like, the beginning of a game is already important, but you are going to see like so much effort poured yeah. into the first couple of hours of a game because they are going to need to catch you immediately. It's I, th- I think it's going to be a hard sell no matter no matter how it comes out. Hope maybe Google Google will get lucky or maybe it'll figure out the infrastructure problems. Um, but moving from streaming consoles to streaming nonsense, game companies over the last decade have fought very hard to say that their games are actually about nothing. No politics mm-hmm. here, no politics anywhere. As recently as a couple days ago, um, 
the one of the co-directors of The Outer Worlds, a game about capitalism run amok, noted that his game doesn't say anything about capitalism. Quote, I don't want people to think that this is a really hard, politically charged game. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be humorous. Um, but Ubisoft might be the biggest offender here in terms of what they just keep saying out of their actual mouths. Um, they said that their game about fighting the U.S. government had nothing to do with politics, and their game about military soldiers gone roll had nothing to do with the military. But whether they intended to say it or not, Every piece of media ends up somewhat political. Um, Dan, how do you feel uh, about how this this discussion about politics changed or was presented at E3 this year? I feel like we didn't have, outside of one game, which we'll get to, obviously, I feel like it was really sort of blown past. Like, Ubisoft clearly didn't want to talk about it with their games. Um, you know, nobody else really needed to bring it up. And then, meanwhile, you know, Clint Hawking comes out on stage with uh, Watch Dogs Legion. He's like, this is an explicitly political game. This is a game about Brexit. This is a game where we are going to make you at least a little bit uncomfortable uh, and make you think about what your politics are. Now, it remains to be seen how much it will actually be doing that. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he is saying it is a high, is a hot, like, it is a very low bar set for the video game industry at large, given that everybody wants to say their game is apolitical. For a time, like the record holder for most, like for longest discussion of politics, it was um, uh, was the fellows at Zen- Zenimax who said Nazis are bad, mm-hmm. and it's like, yep. hey, Wolfenstein, Nazis, yeah. w- good to shoot them. Listen, Square Enix is avoiding talking about how uh, Final Fantasy VII is a game about terrorists blowing up a corporation <laughs> that's destroying the planet. Listen, that game is political as heck, but nobody wants to admit that. Nobody in the industry, at least. Do you, like, how do you feel, uh, Phoenix, about the bar that actually has to be crossed to say, that we're saying that like a man who acknowledges that Brexit both exists and potentially be bad is um, is <laughs> we're, we're talking about him as like great huge step forward we did it guys um, like how do you feel about where that bar is set? It's such a we- it's such a weird thing to, to to think that that's that that's like that's the current bar because it's one of those things where I I thought when that last Far Cry came out that it was really weird that even with that one... Could you just, like, set that game up? Because that game is super weird because they did start that game up with, like... They did. It was literally, like, here is, like, you're in the middle of rural America. Here's some really super far-right people. You're playing what you assume to be, you know, are more, like, leftist-leaning, you know, revolutionaries going after this cult, this religious cult, and all this stuff. And then it comes out and they have an interview with the creative director and he's like I really like doomsday things I I don't really think it had to do with alt-right things I mean like it was kind of like I really like I like souping up my jeep (laughs) I like prepping I like prepping for the you know the eventual maybe apocalypse that's kind of what it was about and I was like oh okay there are no politics (laughs) in the end of the world once the world ends there can't be politics anymore yeah it's just that's how it works Phoenix I know you're also like a pretty big open world game fan um I mean, one of the things that they say when when they pitch these open world games, and Ubisoft says in particular, is that they're not trying to give you, like, a perspective. They're trying to mm-hmm. give you, like, a bunch of perspectives. And I you, you'll come away with your own answer. Um, mm-hmm. have, have you seen any games that have done this successfully? I, you know, it's it's weird. It's, it's such a weird thing to actually think about because, like, I have played... I have played stuff like I I don't know I'm a big Dragon Age fan so I have to like bring that up at least like you know several times is that um, I have played open world games uh, specific ones like 
Dragon Age 2 or I would say Inquisition, especially like um, the DLC for Inquisition where there's a lot of repercussions for the political choices you make during the main game. So I, I would say that like there have been open world games that have tried to kind of shore up issues that, you know, we do need to talk about that could kind of parallel stuff that's going on in our world. But they always come back to, like, I just never really, I can't really, like, explicitly, like, draw out an example where it's, like, really successfully done. It's always kind of, like, either this could be an allegory for something that's going on right now, or it's... Like, I, I remember with Dragon Age, there was, at least in the first one, there mm-hmm. was this impression that the elves were supposed to be, like, some they're kind oppressed, of... They're oppressed, yeah. Yeah, there's some kind of minority culture that, yeah. that have been oppressed. Fantasy just... racism is always yeah. a tricky line to toe. I always think back to... I don't know if either of you played Tales of Symphonia, yes. uh, the game in which everybody is racist towards half-elves, but nobody really knows why. Why, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's just sort no of a, real reason. It's just sort of a vague racism, and, and it's, like... Characters are upset people. about it. Yeah. yeah, characters are upset about it, and your care and the protagonist is just like, that's wrong. Yeah. And it's wrong because they're people too. But nobody ever, like, I'm racist towards them because I believe X and Y. Yeah. It's just like, you're half elves, so you're bad. And that game in particular, too, was kind of interesting because there was, like, so many avenues for them to talk about it. Like, the main character is an, I think he's an orphan. I think. Yeah, he's an orphan orphan raised by a dwarf. dwarf. He's raised by a dwarf. He's a human. He's raised by a dwarf. So they could have even gone at it from like, okay, if it's a fantasy racism thing or whatever, where they're trying to like, you know, use Mm -hmm. it to talk about it in different ways. They could have even had it that Lloyd was like, you know, I know many types of people like, and you know, like I was raised by a dwarf. Like he's not a bad person, blah, 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 or whatever. And why would half elves be bad just because they're half elves and blah, blah, blah. But like. The game never really takes any stand anywhere. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, they're just. I don't know. We just they're di- always they're, hated them. They're different, and we hate them, and it's wrong and to it. hate them. But yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's just, yeah, I feel like most video games handle it like that. I think, like, the yeah. con- there's been, weirdly enough, like, a, re- a, re- a revival of the conversation about Bioshock Infinite. Oh. Um, which I actually feel. So, the, 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 the like, take that keep politics out of video games yeah. is one exclusively said by people who don't like the politics that are in video games. Not that they don't like politics, but that they disagree mm. with the with the opinions. Yep. Bioshock Infinite may be the only time I actually agree with the, hey, politics were shoved into this video game. Because <laughs> that game, that game yeah. has this biz, like That game really just wants to be a conversation about alternate dimensions and probabilities and stuff like that. Yep. Which is actually, like, that is the most successful part of a game. Yes. It's just like it's just, the fun yeah. fantasy, like, yeah. oh, alternate universes, this guy's a bad dad in many yeah. different worlds. In different yeah. worlds, right? It's just like, yeah. and like, cool. And then the second the game opens, it's about, it's time to hit the are you a racist or not racist button and yes. then shoot all yeah. of the people of color in this world because they're secretly evil. And it's just like, whoa, when did this happen? Like, yeah. why, why is this here? I, it's like, okay, it, it goes in this weird, bizarre, like, libertarian politics tangent before it comes back to the, again, alternate dimensions probability stuff. Yep. It's like, why did you put that here? What are we, <laughs> do, what, what happened? And I feel like it is, it is the only time I feel like a game definitely shouldn't have put the politics in there, but maybe that's just because I like I obviously disagree with it, but also because it's a disservice to what the game is actually about. I love, and that's the thing is that as much for all of its faults, I love Bioshock Infinite um, because it's I don't know, like I, there's not very many steampunk games that I can really like grab onto, and that's one of them mm-hmm. that I was just like, yes, 
But then when they got to the part with, I think it's Daisy Fitzroy yes. is the is the you go to the alternate yeah. like the alternate, the dimension, alternate dimension where, where Daisy Fitzroy is like, over. oh, she's a fascist now. Like, yeah, why? And that was the thing. Yeah, that was the thing that that I thought was like the its biggest fault. Like whenever I think back to it, is the fact that you have this scene where you know they're seeing all this chaos around the city and everything that's been caused by Daisy and her her rebels and everything. And then Elizabeth is like, oh, yeah, she's basically the same as Comstock. <laughs> and I'm like, wait. You just built up Daisy for the last, like, two hours as, like, somebody that's like, yeah, you know what, like, we need to take the power back, blah, 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 whatever, all this stuff. And then you go into this alternate dimension where they're like, yeah, she's a fascist. I think, and I think that's, to me, like, the best example of the games that will admit they are political. Not necessarily their vision, but the game, I feel like the politics of video games or the ones that make it in are so often that kind of nihilistic libertarianism where everybody's bad, you're just in it for yourself, every, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And it's like... That stuff is is messed up, and in my opinion, sends a bad message. But like, if that's the only kind of politics that the that the games industry, that the major publishers are willing to own up to, mm. like, what are what are we saying, right? What are we saying as an industry? Obviously, indie games do a lot more in a lot more interesting ways and in more interesting directions. Mm. But like, if the triple A games industry is only willing to have this kind of nihilism as the base bedrock for their politics, especially when you come to like. Saying a game is not political is in its own way this nihilistic politics of being like the end of the world isn't political. We prep for prepping's sake because the apocalypse will come anyway, so it's not political. You know, all bad leaders are all, all leaders are the same. They're all bad. Depose them all. Your rule is the only one that's right. If that's all, but like, play your choice. Yeah, if that's <laughs> all go. we're saying, if that's all these games are saying, then like, what what are we doing here? You know, I the interesting thing on top of that with with that is I think like. The like Bioshock, the Bioshock Infinite of the world, even Mass Effect, Mass Effect gives you like the option. It doesn't really give you like political choices. It gives you the option to be like a a lovely person or a total dick. Total yeah. dick. And yeah. it's like there's no there's no middle ground really. Like well, yeah. there's that there's that example of where you're um, in Mass Effect three, right? Where spoilers for Mass Effect three, a game from two thousand and eight. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, ten. I don't know. I have no idea. It's been forever. A decade ago, I guess. Um, you are given the choice as to kill the Geth or not, and it's do a genocide or don't do a genocide. And I'm like, I'm like, always going to pick hmm. don't do a genocide. I just, personally, I don't like genocides. Not a fan. I mean, at some point, it seems maddening to expect the marketing departments of these game companies to change their tune. I, like, should we be waiting for that to have, to, to for, like, someone at Ubisoft to just say, like, yeah, I guess the game is political, or, like, just... Is it important to just have these conversations, whether or not the developer wants to acknowledge them? And I, and I think this is uh, this is for both of you, but I'll start with you, Phoenix. Okay. No, I just think I, I think what what bothers me is that I just wish they would get that. So 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 they fought so long and hard to have video games recognized as an art form, and you know, art you know art is a cultural thing, and cultural. Things tend to be bound up in whatever politics the people that are creating that art, you know, have. Like, it, even if it's like a subconscious thing. So it's one of those things where I just think it just seems so nonsensical to be like, this is completely apolitical. And then to be nervous about the fact that something that you're creating is going to have politics in it as well. Like I, like, I think the nervousness is what gets me is just the fact that it's just like, it, it's not that it's not that we need people to be like, up on the stage beating their chest going like this is political like it's just it there's there's there's, i just wish that people would at least have the guts to just go yeah there's there's political things happening in cyberpunk 2070 2077 yeah 2077 yeah 
They, they just political just, things. Just swam. say it, as opposed to what the current state is, which is, well, you know, we're not trying to say anything. It's with just this really game. edgy. There's a certain extent where it's like it's just cowardly, where it's mm-hmm. like they they are afraid of like what the implications of their what their game actually says. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes I, I wonder to what extent, like if if the developers aren't able to admit the politics within their own games, whatever, like regardless of how banal the politics themselves mm-hmm. are. Does that feed into the Gamergate trap where, like, the things that get called out as political are, like, there's a woman in this game. There's a person of color in this game. You can be be gay. You can be a lesbian. You can be trans. um, And that gets remarked upon as the political political thing. Do we need developers to step in and kind of at least just acknowledge that there is this – that there's a wider berth of what things can be political? Um, And I'll throw this to to Phoenix first. I think – I I think – I, I don't know. It's just like I know. I know that it's that it's obviously going to be like, you know, a bit of a a bit of a mire for them to get through in terms of like marketing and PR and like all that stuff. But I mean, I think about the fact that like right now there's more harm being done by being or trying to be so neutral about things. Like I feel like being neutral or not. not I shouldn't say neutral. It's more like just like trying to do that apolitical stance is doing more harm. Whenever the the politics discussion is brought up with Gamergate types, it's always like anything that makes them uncomfortable. Suddenly, it's a political thing. Like even if it has to do with like you know the the, the stupid issue of the the gamer dress thing that came out. Like it, it's it, it was a weird thing. People called it out, and then people were like, "Oh my god! Oh, here it comes again!" Like SJ. What's the what's the gamer dress thing? Oh, so they came. This one company it was an esports company, I think. They came out with a dress saying like, oh, no, we we support um, we support (laughs) women Twitch streamers just or esports gamers just as much as we support our male esports gamers. And they came out with this dress that esports gamer girls could get. And it was just this really ugly. It had like a zipper in the front front. and it was just like a stretched awful one of those chairs, but like made into a dress. It was it was terrible. Yeah. And then when people asked, like, Like, did a woman have any part of this? Of this. Yeah. Oh, no. But we will. We really do appreciate any future feedback. (laughs) So you wouldn't pay a woman to tell you that this is dumb as hell, but you will accept free Twitter criticism that this is dumb as hell. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Before we wrapped up, wrap up. E3 is a pretty big spectacle with a lot of different games and announcements. Are there any notable pieces of news or games that you guys want to touch on? It was like a, a it was not the most intense of E3s given that Sony wasn't there, but it, it sure did have like its its mm-hmm. its uh its selection of beats. Um Dan, what what was something that you you liked seeing? Death loop. Death <laughs> loop. Death loop. Cool. I love everything i know always saw was a cg trailer and I, i'm always the person on this show every year that's just like listen i don't want to get suckered in by the cg trailer <laughs> i only want to talk about gameplay death loop looked like the most up my alley video game perhaps ever designed it is dope it's from the dishonor team at arcane it's nice. um a game about two assassins trapped in a time loop on an island full of people trying to kill them and they have to kill each other because the only way out of the time loop um it honestly seems spectacular uh, I want to play it so, so badly. Similarly, in, an, in another pretty much entirely, it was in engine, but another no gameplay trailer, uh, Legend of Zelda, whatever the next one's called. Um, <laughs> is another dehydrated ga- Ganondorf. The, yeah, de- <laughs> dehydrated Ganondorf, opposite of thick Ganondorf, who will get thick as the game goes on, I'm certain. I um, hope so. <laughs> I, listen, that's another game that I will, like that and Deathloop, I will buy sight unseen. 
Like, don't, I don't need to see anything further. I will put my 70, 90, $100,000, whatever it is, put my entire bank account on those two games because they will be fantastic. I'm certain of it. I mean, those are both two trailers, which people should see. Really, yeah. both of those things. Like, real for, for a Zelda game, also, it's like in, uh, kind of incredible cinematic, which I'm not used to seeing for... Um, for, for Zelda. These are things that, like, once they got into Reddit, were, like, dise- dissected frame yeah. by yes. frame to see what is exactly going on. Because I think it really caught people's attention. Oh, it was... It, they looked very cool. I mean, the Zelda trailer especially, because it was, like, covered in, like, lore tidbits for people to catch. And, yep. of course, dehydrated Ganondorf, who immediately had so much fan art made of him. <laughs> yes. Just an unimaginable <laughs> amount of fan art made of him. Yes. I, I Yeah, in terms of games that we actually saw gameplay of... Um, Doom still looks really cool. Doom Eternal, that Doom game Eternal. looks. There's a gun that shoots you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like more Doom. Yeah. Um, what about you, Phoenix? How? What have you been? What have you? What have you been keeping an eye out for? Uh, quite a lot. Like I, I, I found this this year was there was a lot of really great looking indie games. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Thunder Lotus games, so Spirit Farer is definitely definitely on my wish list already. Um, I was surprised at the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 announcement. Oh, yeah. I right. mean, I know people have been like kind of like talking here and there about like, oh, this might happen. So like it, it, when it came, I wasn't like a huge shock, but I just thought it was like, oh, wow, they're actually doing it. That's cool. So Vampire the Masquerade, anything else that caught your eye? Tokyo Ghostwire for sure. And again, like um, similar to like what you were saying, Dan, like it, it was a CG trailer, but I don't know. I thought it was pretty compelling, especially since um, it was nice to hear for once that it was going to be a horror-like game that wasn't going to be just about survival. Mm-hmm. It was also going to just be like, you're an investigator and you're trying to figure out why things are suddenly becoming so paranormal in Tokyo. And um, slight Hideo Kojima vibes with it as well, kind of. So it was kind of interesting to see how it's like, definitely, it's definitely not a Kojima game, but it was interesting to see. It was like, you know, if you're into Death Stranding, you'd probably be into, you know, Tokyo Ghostwire as well kind sure. of thing yeah and then I, I'm really just like into nostalgic games right now so stuff like Damon X Machina I'm really looking forward to <laughs> Damon X Machina which specifically <laughs> makes you nostalgic Chain. for watching late night Gundam Seed yes yeah that's exactly it that's literally like, that's the vibe. Yeah, that and the and the, 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 the metal core music that goes along with all those trailers which mm-hmm. I'm just really into what is so, the name yeah. of do you remember the name of the deer game oh the deer game. The Way game the about woods? being a deer. Way in the woods. Yeah. Deer game. That deer game looks game. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the game when the deer is your dad. Yeah. Well, yes. you are the deer dad. Oh, sorry, you are the deer dad. You have a deer son or <laughs> daughter. I, I'm not certain. <laughs> I don't want to gender the deer. I, I, I'm not certain, but you have a deer child. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So that one looked really good, too. Yeah, that one. And there was like a really wacky, um, I think it's Genesis Noir. It was. It came up during the PC uh, gaming show, and it's it's basically like a really surreal it's like if you were playing through a a bunch of different surreal art paintings as like Mm -hmm. a detective and it's a noir it's a noir mystery kind of thing but it's so wacky it looks like it's going to play with like I feel like the way that they do the mechanics in that game is going to be really interesting because it looks almost like you're playing through an animated film but you can't quite tell what like there's obviously mechanics there but it looks kind of similar to Gorogoa and that it's playing around a lot with space (laughs) So that that looked really interesting to me as well. I, I didn't actually watch catch the trailer for that. And this game looks gorgeous. Yeah, that's this the game thing. Looks it just beautiful. looks really like it's also just eye candy. So I, that kind of thing, I'm really looking forward to. So mm-hmm. yeah, the thing that caught my eye was 
one, it was like surprising to see so many. I mean, not. I mean, we've, they, there's been a good track record over years, but to see so many Toronto indies out there mm-hmm. in the oh, yeah. this year. Um, the one that like, caught my eye was uh, was Bravery Network. Um, oh we've, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jay been working on that game for ages, but now that that game has a release date, and it was cool to see basically like this more this this. Uh, uh, kind of like Pokemon, but like like much more much more like tactically complicated. Cool Pokemon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bravery Network was at E3, but Pokemon wasn't. No, Pokemon was true. not. Pokemon. I mean, it was playable <laughs> on the show floor, but it wasn't during the presentation. Bravery Network was on a stream. Pokemon was not on a stream. Just saying. And um, another game that com- like just because lo- like time loops seem to be like the thing this year. Twelve true. minutes. Yeah, Twelve minutes. That game looks. I mean, that's like that's interesting. I think uh, Merrick K put up a, a good point that it, like if if def if, Deathloop versus twelve minutes. Twelve minutes does look like like a like a like a sad man art, while yes. while Deathloop <laughs> looks like like something much more fun. But that being said, like I think twelve minutes has such a good. We played that game yeah. very briefly oh, cool. at three um, uh, PAX PAX twenty fifteen. Yeah, four nice. whole years ago. Yeah, and it was like it was really cool to see that thing um kind of turn into something else. This is by the way the second game that we yes. saw at, pa- <laughs> yeah. at at that PAX. That PAX. Literally, we walked in on Friday. <laughs> We saw the giant crowds. We said, where aren't they? We went to play this game. Yeah. It was in the middle of, like, a bunch of monitors set up, like, sticking out of the air. Like, it was just, like, the teeny – it wasn't even a booth. It was, like, a, the fraction of, of an area of a bunch of indie games. And we just, like, played it. And and it seemed super cool. And we like, can't yeah. wait to see more of this. And uh, five years later, here we are. Yeah. Is it actually – like, I was wondering, since you – played it actually is it like actually always in that perspective it's always yes. top down like always it's top okay. down. yeah there's like That's some really it like it it gives like some, it cheats a little for when you need to be in like a closet so you can kind of yeah. like see through like clothes and oh, stuff okay, yeah. cool. but you're never your view is never obstructed but it, it was uh i felt like it's got that sort of like reverse zelda where it's like three quarters but instead of being viewed from the bottom it's viewed from the top yeah mm-hmm. exactly and um it was it was really cool to see that and like back then it was mostly just like a man of a Spanish accent who um, was saying I made this question mark yeah. and now it's I like it's, I made this and we're all like yeah. yes yeah and it looks really cool I'm That's excited amazing. that trailer with like it had like voice acting it had like um, it was much more fleshed out the demo we saw was basically like the cops the cops are coming what do you do and it's like behind in the closet cops found you you're dead yeah. now and yeah. I was like oh all right that that was my gameplay attempt. Um, but it seems like it's going to be really versatile, and I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see that and Deathloop. Um, but yeah, that was. I think it was like a, like despite not having uh, a ton to show on like a AAA level, mm-hmm. um, these mid tier games like Deathloop and the small games I think are going to and mid tier lies. Yeah, was another one too. It really yeah, and it really allowed Sam Barlow's yes papa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to live that down, but he named his game Telling Lies. Telling Lies. I mean, listen, he's he's fine because all evidence of that video has been scrubbed from the internet <laughs> by... I actually I don't, don't know, know about this. What was... Oh, do you, so this may be a conversation for off the air, <laughs> but it's a complicated series of weird algorithmically gener- generated children's videos that oh, became no. memes, including a child being asked if he is telling lies, which I, I can only assume Sam Barlow named his game for. Yeah, the, the song goes something like, uh, like, telling lies, yes, papa. And, um, well, now we're going to get thrown off yeah. the internet by Russian censors. I mean, it's a Pakistani meme, and it is incredible. Um, it's wonderful. 
anyway, this has been, I think, an, uh, this has been like, it was a remarkable year, despite, for, for both good and bad. For being a transition year, it was pretty interesting, right? Like, yeah. This is the year before the new consoles. Next year is supposed to be really something. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for just being a transition year, it was certainly very interesting. Yeah. Hopefully, Phoenix will get, be able to get you on again yeah. then. Um, so, again, thank you so much for your time. And, and where can people follow, find, more, find out more about you? So right now uh, I'm mostly on Twitter and it's really easy to find me. It's just my first name, last name, Phoenix Sims. Um, so at Phoenix Sims on Twitter. And uh, I was actually recently published in a hand-eye society zine uh, as well, if you wanted to see like the kind of game work that I've been starting to do. The hand-eye society is, is a local Toronto group. That, yes, local Toronto group. That has been supporting um, indie games for a really long time. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks so much again for, for coming on. No problem at all. From CGRU, this has been Built to Play. I'm Armin Igbali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at Built to Play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. You can find us on Facebook. But hey, if you really like the show, be sure to tell a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or literally anywhere that does reviews. It can really help us out. If you like today's show, send us an email at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from you. Don't email us if you didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) You can follow me personally at Farcon. That's F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen. And remember, we never listen to our haters. Thank you so much for listening.